Welcome to season six of the Life Giver Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope for your marriage and home. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm a military spouse, clinician, and advocate, and I'm bringing topics that I hear from the service community and counseling room to the podcast. This season, we're talking about what it means to be strong in body, mind, and spirit, and I'm giving you the challenge of rising above your circumstances to become the best version of you. So grab a cup of coffee or head out for that run. We have a lot to talk about. Welcome to the Life Giver Podcast and welcome to episode two of the First Responder Series. If you have missed a few episodes and haven't caught up lately and you're thinking to yourself, who is talking to me right now? I want to encourage you to go back to episode 24 um, where I interview with Corey and she kind of introduces the idea of me covering a First Responder Series. And then episode 25 is the part one of this series. So, um, But if you have been following um, the series so far and you have listened to episode 25, which is part one of the first responder series, you will know that this being part two means that my husband is here with me today. So I'm really excited to have him here. He is, like I said earlier, he is nothing like me. And that is what makes him so great. He is just just a steadiness and just a little wealth of wisdom that I love to share. And so I'm so glad that he's here. And I'm also very thankful because I know it's not his first pick to do these kinds of things, but I appreciate him um, coming because I really want to hear his perspective. Um, I've talked a lot on Corey's podcast and on Life Giver about my perspective of going into SWAT life and, and living, you know, our marriage in a service type environment. And so I would really love to get his perspective and have you hear that. So, um, like I said before, Kenny has been, um, in law enforcement for, I think we're going on 14 years in November, right? Are we at 13? We're going on 13. So we're not at 13 yet. Oh, okay. Well, I've been saying 13. So, (laughs) okay. So he's been going on, going on 13 years. Um, he's in, um, full-time call out or SWAT, how it's kind of changed through the years, what they call it, but he's on the full-time, um, call out team. And yeah, so I'm just going to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you. I forgot my disclaimer, which is that you might hear me call him Kennard. That is not his first name. It is just kind of an affectionate, you know, term of endearment that I've used since we've dated. I don't know where it came from, but I've had people ask me before when they, when I'm not realizing that I'm calling you that. And they're like, is that his first name? No, Kenner is not his first name. So, so I thought that we would start with just kind of giving a rundown of, you know, there's a lot of talk and the language is kind of always used of that this job is a calling. And so I want to hear your perspective of what that looked like for you. Um, kind of when that call per se came into your heart or have you always known it and just kind of walk us through, um, when you first decided that you wanted to be a cop all the way up to SWAT. Cause that's almost like a, I see it almost as like a, not a sub calling, but like the next level calling. So kind of just walk us through that. So as a kid, I was always, playing, uh, you know, a, a service role, be it a soldier or, um, you know, or, or police officer or whatever, you know, always, always that, you know, uh, that hero in a uniform, uh, stereotype. Uh, so you could say it started at that, at a very, very young child age. Um, I guess I never fully grew out of it. Um, what really, uh, really perked my interest in it was, uh, the fact that when I was about 16, my 
father changed jobs and became a police officer. So I was you know, a, a lot older to see him go through that and then uh, like through the academy and all that stuff. Um, and then, so I kind of had a, a, a much, uh, a much older perspective of that than, than, than most people would get. Um, and so that definitely from there uh, uh, just maybe decide, okay, that that's the direction that I'm going to go. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do that as well. Um, so that was what, uh, so I was probably around 16 that I made a decision that that's the direction that I would end up going. Uh, I had to wait till I was 21 before I could actually implement that plan. But that was, that was the plan from, from about 16. Mm-hmm. And so then you get in at were you 22. I think I was 22 by the time I was hired. Yeah. I think that's right. Okay. It's so funny how that stuff just starts simpler. So you get in at 22 and did you always know that like was SWAT your end game or was that something that came later? No. uh, By the time I was old enough to apply, I knew SWAT was the direction that I would want to go. I, I, I don't know exactly how old I was, but at some point I had the opportunity to go to a demonstration that the SWAT team of my uh, dad's department was uh, was doing it uh, where they used a, an explosive breach on a door. And I got to see that process and see them kind of doing their thing. And that uh, that intrigued me. And I, you know, I decided then that that would be the that would be the goal. After I did my time on the street, I would my 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 goal would be to, to move into a, uh, into a SWAT position. So, so would you say that you, okay. So what I hear you saying is that that call to, I don't know if you would probably label it as like serve, you know, was always there as a, as a boy, like the, in the roles and the way that you played, whether, you know, I think you've said before to our boys, like you were always the cop or you were always the cowboy or you were always the, the hero, Mm -hmm. you know, of the story. Um, and so did you kind of, you know, cause your dad was in the military. So did you think about going that route? Are you saying that when you, it was kind of like the solidifying moment for you was when, um, you saw him go through the Academy that you were like, okay, I'm definitely going police route. Or were, at that time, were you still thinking like, okay, I could do that too here. I could go to the military or I could do what my dad's doing, or maybe I'll be a firefighter. Or, you know, yeah. were you still like that? No, I think end game was always going to be police work. How, how I was going to get there. I guess there was some question marks there, whether it would be go the college route or go the military route or both. Um, but, uh, I, pretty much came to the conclusion that I wanted to get into law enforcement as soon as possible. And so that's why I, I decided to go that route quickly as opposed to doing anything before. it. So I'm going to ask you, it's, it's not a loaded question, but I'm thinking you might not be able to answer too much to it considering just the age that you were, but it's interesting to me that, you know, I hear you saying that when you saw him going through the Academy and things like that, that you were like, that's it right there. And now you're 16, so your parents have been married, let's just say 20 years, probably a little less at that point, right? I'm not quite sure how long they were married before they had you, but just around that time. They've been married a while, Mm -hmm. and now they're career shifting. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that sounds like, especially with just my experience of what I saw with you and I, you going through the academy while we were engaged and then being in field training when we got married, um, 
I think to myself, what a negative experience that would have felt like, you know, on the family, like to, it sounds like an upheaval to me of like, oh, now you all of a sudden, um, don't, I wonder if you can hear <laughs> that's our dog it's making an appearance, but, um, it seems to me like, would that be an upheaval on the family? Would that be like now, um, now he's not home for Christmas and, you know, and I know that you guys have never been like super traditional. And so it's kind of even speaking to like preference of the family, but it's interesting to me. Do you feel like at all it was, I don't even want to say negative, but did you notice any kind of challenge or difference to that? Cause I feel like when you were going through the Academy, it was stressful. So did you, did you sense that or did you feel? Yes, there was, there was, uh, there was some stress there. I, I, you know, he, um, from the standpoint of, you know, he had to perform in order to keep the job and he was never in danger of losing it, but there was, there was a stressor there of starting over it. I think he was like 42 or 43 years old, uh, making a major career change. So, um, that was, uh, yeah, there was definitely some stress there, but, um, not something that I would say not greatly affected me. Not, not, it didn't color it, it didn't, in a bad way. Right. It didn't, co- it didn't color the job in that way. The, the circumstances, you know, were, it, um, were, were challenging, but it wasn't, there wasn't negative. Um, it wasn't attributed to the job itself. It yeah. was the circumstance of a career change, whatever the career would be. Yeah. When I was thinking about having you on, I'm like, I was kind of like thinking about just reflecting and, and thinking, okay, we're, well, I thought we were 13 years in, <laughs> so I'm like we're 13 years in, we're kind of in this middle part. And so I was kind of thinking, what would we talk about? And one of the things I mentioned in the last episode was our coffee times and some things that have come out of just us learning how to communicate. And so I thought really that that's really just what I wanted this to be is similar to maybe how a coffee time would look. Um, just in us conversing back and forth, you know, sometimes we talk about boring things, but this time I'm like, you know, I have some things I just want to talk to you about because I've been reading, um, the book and I hope I don't botch it cause I don't have it in front of me, but it's emotional survival for law enforcement. It is definitely a book that I have seen and heard recommended in circles. Um, only recently though, I'd never heard it. I don't think I heard it in the, in the early years, but I would say over the last five years, I've heard people start to recommend it. Corey has talked about it briefly. It's on her, on the life giver website. There is a, um, an Amazon shop link that shows that book is one of the resources. And it's recommended that you read it to, um, even for families. And I know that you haven't read it, but I've read some of it to you and I'm going to tell you some of some of it and get your thoughts on it because it's mainly about hypervigilance. So I think it goes hand in hand with what we're talking about because, <clears throat> the academy and all these things, that's where this stuff starts. And the idea being that hypervigilance is kind of a hyper awareness. It's like an, kind of like an elevated state where all your senses are working. You're very much aware of what's happening. And that is like key, crucial, like super important to officer safety, right? That's like, it's trained into you in order to be safe. They're maybe not using that term. You need to, had you heard that term hypervigilant? Like was that utilized in training? Like, hey, you need to be hypervigilant. Not that I recall. I don't. Yeah. It doesn't ring any bells. But nonetheless, they're putting you through scenarios and things like that, trying to train you and teach you how to really just not be 
a civilian who's like, la-di-da, like just going about my way in the grocery store. But, you know, kind of seeing and just being like situational awareness, I guess, is probably part of it. And so the physiological response to that is, you know, all your senses are turned on. You're kind of at this elevated level and you've got nowhere to go but down. Like eventually you're going to have to crash. And so what they talk about in the book is this cycle of you're up, up, up at work. And this is where you're going to be like, you know, running to calls and cracking jokes and just feeling alive. And then what tends to happen is you get home that all that stimulus is no longer there and you crash. They, and so if you're, if you think about people have some sort of hypervigilance or some sort of situational awareness in general, that we kind of a regular person operates, a cop is going to be operating at a higher level. So then when he comes down off of it, he's going to crash lower. He's not going to just normalize. And so there's a lot of talk in there about um, <clears throat> that physiologically to get that out of your system it can take like 18 to 24 hours. And where that gets so dangerous is because of shift work. I mean, that's, I can't even count how many times you've barely had, but especially with a commute, you've had maybe eight or nine hours between going back out again and you got to sleep, you know? And so um, clearly that's, you know, based off the recommendations, that's not enough time for you to recover. And so one of the things that struck me the most and made me so sad was that what people don't realize in the job is when that starts happening to them, what they start doing is they start associating that down feeling that just crash and complete drain with their home life. So they think when I'm at home, I feel terrible. So the solution is I'm going to work more. I'm going to take the overtime. I'm going to look for that hit really is kind of what it is. And so I don't know. I just wanted to get some of your thoughts on all of that, because I do remember um, when we first started feeling like you were very tired. And I mean, I feel like when I look back, I'm like, yeah, we were that's tired for a 22 year old, because I mean, now we're like (laughs) you get like I feel like I get seven hours of sleep and I'm like, oh, my God, like I feel like someone killed me. But back then you should be able to bounce back. So even if you weren't getting optimal sleep, the level of exhaustion that I was seeing in you. It wasn't matching. And we had, I felt like, no vocabulary for that. No idea. And do you remember feeling like that? Do you remember feeling that tired um, in that first year or two? Or, uh, I, Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, I, I remember being, being very tired. I would say that would probably be the only thing that I can, that I could say was, was an obvious change from where... I, from where I was pre on the job before I was on the job and after is that, you know, definitely significant exhaustion. And I had just attributed it to the shift work. You just thought it was due to lack of sleep. Yeah. 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 And that was hard because to me, like I said, it just didn't add up. Like, it's like, yes, I knew you were tired, but this was like just a tired that I'd never seen before. Um, and I don't really remember. Well, I'll say you're right, because I feel like when you did get finally, I mean, what, five, six years in seven years, maybe when you finally did get a more like evening type shift and started to get more sleep, I think that did like drastically fix things, which makes sense even because when they talk about in this book um, how to circumvent it or how to manage it better, it is obviously, you know, you see an emphasis on sleep 
and trying to get as much consistent sleep as you can, um, which is sometimes laughable because like I said, sometimes you've got, you know, less than, you know, 10 hours before you got to be back on, but to try and stay as consistent as you can, make sure you're getting good sleep, darken the room, all that thing, all that stuff. They also talk about exercising, um, helps kind of, I don't, I don't want to use the wrong words, but to me, I was kind of taking it as like, almost like burn it off or get it someplace, help stabilize you. Um, which I think that you did a really good job, um, inadvertently. I don't think it was intentionally. You just like to work out, but you did a, a good job advocating for yourself with that because that was hard when you were on shift work and we had little babies and it kind of felt like you want to leave again. Like you want to go work out again. Like right. I've been here for 14 hours. Like I need you to like, I need to tap out. And I think that's the dynamic that families find themselves in, um, is, and it's, it, it, I can only really speak, I guess, from us, you know, staying home. I'm staying home. So as much as you're gone is as much as I'm with them. And, you know, it is hard not to want to just say like, okay, bye. Like <laughs> you're solved this and you just come home in the crazy. And again, I think in some ways I'm like, oh, the Lord knew because he <laughs> gave you an hour commute to decompress before I was in your face because I'm in your mm-hmm. face. Right. And that's some of the, the, um, the recommendations they make. They're like, well, don't talk to them like when they come home and give them time and give them space and don't talk about anything important. And I think that is important to realize because I didn't realize that. But I wanted to hear your thoughts on like, what does your end look like on that? Right. Because there's so much out there that's like, OK, don't talk to them about this and, you know, let them decompress and try to find a boundary. And I think that stuff is good and useful and helpful. Um, but at some point too, you've got to reconcile, you don't have an optimal 18 to 24 hour and you do have a family that loves you, misses you, needs you. What does that look like for you when you maybe are feeling that drain or what, what have you, have you made any like conscious decisions about that or what do you do? Not, not, well, yeah, I would say some, some conscious decisions, but, but it's, it's kind of day by day and, and, and situational. So like if a, you know, uh, on a, on a harder day. Um, and you know, that, that I may be feeling more of that drain then I will say, you know, can we not talk about this thing that is not necessarily pressing? Mm-hmm. I'll ask, you know, for us to not talk and, you know, just veg in front of a show or just go to bed. Um, uh, but the flip side of it is, is that, you don't always have that option. Sometimes things are pressing enough that you have to just, you know, suck it up and deal with that thing. And it might be, you might not be able, when I say you, I mean me, I might not be able to be my most uh, compassionate self. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, But I, but we may have to just get down to business and deal with whatever it is. And then so that, you know, so that it, it can be taken care of. Um, so I feel like it's, I think it's just, it's both. It's, you know, sometimes you got to be able to say, I can't deal with that right now. Uh, you got to have the freedom to be able to do that on things that maybe aren't pressing, but at the same time, you got to be able to also suck it up and understand it's just, you know, it's just just another thing you got to deal with. Um, yeah, I've been giving that a lot of thought lately mm-hmm. is even in my last episode when I was talking about some of the things we've learned to work out with communication <clears throat> and with the job and, um, you know, me being able to come to you, you know, look, you use the beginning as kind of the standard and, and my, 
I had, I mean, it was ridiculous expectation to, for you to be in constant communication with me or to let me know. And like me getting so upset, like after, you know, you'd hung up in the middle of our conversation, I don't hear from you for five hours. And there's an expectation that needs to come on my end of your job. Like you can't, you can't do that. You can't always do that. Like, and let me know everything. Um, but that doesn't mean that I just suck it all up and never ask for anything. It's that you then recognize it's not easy to be hung up on. It's not easy to not know what's going on. And so you give me what you can, when you can. And then we both kind of trust each other for that space. So it's like, I know, and I do keep in the back of my mind, um, because I want to I want to get it all out all the time. I always want to communicate. And, you know, we joke that you've said it before that you're my communication crash dummy. Like I just want to what word vomit all over you. Um, and oftentimes in our scenario, I've had many hours alone, you know? And so you're like my first adult conversation and my favorite adult conversation and your opinions and everything matter the most to me. And so I want them and I want them now, you know, but I've had to learn to be aware and slow down and be like, is this the best time to talk about that? Um, I feel like we can sometimes do more schedule type things. We can have those conversations if you're kind of burnt out and they go okay. But like ones that maybe are a little bit more emotional or like I need to, hey, I, we need to bring up this topic or I still haven't told you what happened with one of the boys or whatever. I'm really stressed out. Um, I've had to press pause. You know, we just came off of even just to show like a window and how it always seems to go is we've got this, you know, homestead, which I feel like is mainly my doing. And we, I was like, we processed 20 chickens, you know, last year, let's do 50, you know? And so that's like four days of work, like solid. And it's arguably even more. And then leading up to that, you had 25 hours of overtime on that check. None of which you volunteered for. Um, so you're talking little sleep, constant call outs. And then here, take on this huge, massive project. And there were things that were cropping up because meanwhile, we keep living life. We still got two kids. You and I still have a relationship. And I found myself being like, this is not the time like to bring this up or that up. But we do have to circle back and find a time, you know. And so anyway, I feel like it's I've been thinking a lot about that lately of what where we've gotten to a place I feel like of success is, is that both of those things, it's not about one person squashing, you know, what they need, but kind of both people rising to the occasion of how can I give you what you need best? Still recognizing that there's a need for me as well. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, the only thing I could add to that would be just, it's, it's that constant prioritizing and then executing, you know, like, like, is this something that needs to be a priority and, you know, someone's need for rest or discomfort needs to, to, it supersedes that, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, so, or does it, then that's, that's, you know, that's the, sometimes it does sometimes in fact does need to be put in front of that, uh, that need for, for rest and recovery. Um, and then sometimes the rest and recovery needs to come first. And so I think that's, but that's case by case. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because I think sometimes I can start off being like, yeah, this isn't the time, and that's not the time, and that's not the time. But then 
a week goes by and you're like, okay, now I'm just holding like, you know, and so now we have to make the time, you know, even if, you know, we were trying to be catering, but now we're kind of forced into a corner because that's the thing about this job is like you, the only thing consistent is the inconsistency. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it will interfere as much as you allow it. Yeah. Reading that book. I don't know if I could have read that book. Um, in the beginning, I think it would have really freaked me out. I think I told you that so much of the book states the problem for a really long time before it starts talking about ways to help. Um, because it's inevitable. You can't, well, I guess you could go to work and be like, I'm not going to be hyper vigilant, but then arguably, are you going to come home? Like, you know what I mean? Like this is what I think that's what started to help me too, is that some of the things that were difficult for me, like why, can I hold your attention in public or why do we have to find a certain seat or all those things that used to be kind of frustrating when I started to really realize like, these are the things that bring you home at night. Like these are the things that make you safe. We can't eradicate them. We can't just choose. You can't just choose to never be that way. That's who you are, but it is going to rewire you a bit. Some of the solutions I finally had to skip ahead and I'm like, how how do you do this? Well, and you know, it was making sure that you get sleep and, exercising and keeping your identity. That was the other thing that they talk about is that, you know, you kind of, we're, we are right there where they describe in the book where it's like, you go from being like, I love this. I love this to being like, I got seven more years. I got 10 more. Like you're just, it's almost like a mentality shift of biding your time or the, the, the way you talk switches. Um, I don't know if that's normal in every job, probably not every job. But this is more about how kind of like what you're saying is um, it'll take as much as you let it take. And so if you just let it take and you're not having any awareness of how much it's consuming you, it strips you of every identity but being a cop. Like that's what your world then just becomes. Um, And that the key to balancing that is keeping other interests is, you know, keeping other relationships, not just seeing yourself as you are only a cop, but you're also a father and you're also, you know, a husband and you are a forced homesteader. (laughs) Do you feel forced? No. I know. Um, I know it's more my thing and I appreciate you entertaining that. Do you find any kind of respite in the lifestyle that you know, because that's another thing is how do you unplug? That's kind of what I'm getting at. It's like, what, what do you do or what do you find is helps keep you, you? I think that the, the busyness of here, you know, of trying to do this homesteading style of, uh, of living by default good. It brings its own stresses into it, obviously, but it's also, um, it does uh, disconnect me from that. From the other side, I guess. Kind of gets your brain working in a different way. I am thinking, though, there were times um, that you would go hiking. And it's few and far between. It's probably not near as much as it should be. Um, but, you know, you would say, I need to go. Or I'd like to go. That's probably a better way to say it. I'd really like to go hiking. And I, literally, I can count on my hands how many times you've done that. But because um, that's part of who you were before you became a cop. Like that mm-hmm. was something that you really enjoyed doing. Right. And it's hard too, I think for us, because, you know, the, like I said, the book was talking about, you can kind of get into this, like I used to do this and I used to do that. 
there's a part of me that I'm like, well, welcome to adulthood. Cause like <laughs> I you I used to take piano lessons. Like I used to do a bunch of stuff until I got myself some responsibility. I don't know, you know, and it's again just this balance because I feel like even though this book was obviously geared towards a hypervigilance aspect and maintaining your identity and something that's all consuming. I could liken it to motherhood. You know what I mean? Where like anytime you're in something that's so demanding that you don't even realize you're kind of naturally just kind of slipping away, like, like that you're not really maybe doing your interest anymore. You don't really remember the things that you enjoy. Um, but some of that too, I think is growing up. I don't know. I'm just kind of talking that out. Like what are your thoughts on that of, I guess, making time and trying to maintain individual identity, but also recognizing like there are only so many hours in the day and we have chosen to have responsibilities to include our family, but yet also knowing that when you, you can be as responsible as you can to them. And if you're not getting filled in some way, what are you really giving everyone? How much of it is being an adult accepting responsibility, accepting the fact too, you know, cause that's the thing we're talking about a job that you can work a crazy amount of hours. Like when, when are you supposed to take up a special interest is like when I, what I'd like to know. And then conversely, when am I, because if I'm the childcare and that's not what I'm just reduced to, but you know what I mean? Like as mu- what I've always said is as much as you're gone is as much as I'm here, right. you know? So What's the balance or is there a balance? Well, I think I think it's always a balance, but I don't know if you could really nail down what it is. I think it's going to be different for every person, every family. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, and, and what that interest is, it's a lot easier if your interest is video games to do that when everybody else is in bed and, you know, um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot less uh, weather dependent and everything else. Uh, but if you're trying to, you know, be into hiking you have to plan out your equipment you have to plan your day that you're going to go you have to account for drive time um it's you know typically needs to happen in daylight hours um so and i think too that's always um i don't know i guess my inclination is to want to if i had it my way i was just talking about this today like visionary wise, I'm like, yeah, change everything, change it all the time. But in the day-to-day tasks, I'm very much, I want order and I want structure and I want to just put systems in place um, that I can fall back on. And I think the reality is that in different seasons, that's going to look different of how much time you have to Mm -hmm. hike or whatever that interest is. And because I think even, you know, stepping back a little bit to talking about the working out that has changed, you know, when you were in SWAT or trying to get on SWAT, I remember, I don't even remember how long that was because we, our boys were so little, uh, but it felt like a really long time that every, you know, weekend you were trying to at least get some shooting in. Mm-hmm. Um, you became much more rigorous in, in your working out as far as you really weren't laxed on skipping days. Right. Um, but in that time, we found. I met you halfway because I started running with you Mm -hmm. Um, because we could, you know, throw people in strollers and go on our merry way. And that actually is one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite years, actually, even though that year was so hard because, you know, you were working. Is that called a Panama shift? Panama schedule. Yeah, Yeah, I couldn't remember the name of it, but, you know, um, you were working kind of a more set schedule, but but you were also 
um, going to every SWAT training, all this extra stuff I felt like you were doing to kind of prove yourself. Well, yeah. And, you know, again, I'm home with, gosh, I think they, I think they were two and one. And that that's, those are long days. Mm -hmm. And then to feel like, oh my gosh, like you're taking our day off and you're going to cut it in half and be gone for four hours and go shoot. And that was really hard, but I loved, um, we, I loved running. I loved running with you. I loved, um, I think that dynamic, which I find to be comical and I'm sure some people (laughs) find to be abusive (laughs) where I'm like, I'm going to, puke and you're like keep going you can do it like you know it's not abusive but I think about that one lady on the trail that one time that I think I was saying like I'm gonna puke and you were like you're you're, you know you're doing great and what do you always quote at me about your body and your mind and your mind can do more than your whatever what do you always say to me your body can do 80% more what your mind thinks it can yes yeah there it is people are only operating about 20% of what they're actually capable of doing yeah so you're just like this little you know inspirational motivational thing beside me not caring at all that I'm like (laughs) gonna throw up but I was running when we went on vacation that year and I took a run by myself and I did a 650 mile like in six minutes and 50 seconds like and that was because of you I mean it was because of the consistency but also like if I'd have been out there by myself I'd have been trekking around 10 minutes but that constant pushing and I ended up actually really liking that Mm -hmm. I missed that um but it's just not for this season that we're in now. You know what I mean? And I right. think that's what everyone has to find. And you're just constantly having conversations, not all the time, but reevaluating what's working, what's not. What can we do? What can we not do? Um, okay, I really enjoy doing this, but it's so time consuming. So what can I find in the interim or how can I make space for it? Um, so I guess kind of circling back to talking about this job as a calling and feeling like it's always kind of been in you. You knew you were always going to go this direction. When you first got in, what was what was that like? Were you like, was that reinforced of like, yes, this is it. Like, I have arrived. Like. No. No. Okay. What was that like then? First getting into it, you really have no idea what you're getting into. Um, and then, and, and not from the standpoint of like that I was shocked by the things that were that I was encountering because you know my dad being in it already I I already kind of had an idea of what to expect but the as far as the actual implementing the job and conducting interviews working cases taking care of calls and things like that you know at first it's very uh it's a challenge to 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 juggle it all and it's not necessarily enjoyable you know it definitely is not a feeling of of arrival and i've never felt that before so i don't know what that feeling would be like so yeah that part um, is the best word so. i feel like you go from working towards this goal that has been with you since you know you were a kid and then like you just said you get in and you find yourself still working towards goals because you're new and now you've got to learn it all and then as soon as you kind of get your footing um now you're, you know, now that door is open for you to start pursuing SWAT. And so then you kind of get yourself back down at the bottom where you're new again and you're learning it all. And, um, but now sitting in your position today, you are where you wanted to be, right? I mean, is there anywhere 
you know, we've talked about this before and, and everyone makes their own decisions about this. It, I didn't know this until actually we talked of like, I would have assumed um, you would have just wanted to climb ranks, right? Like, I mean, to me in my mind, like, I guess maybe from a business mindset is like, you just go up, you just keep going up, right. you know, but that's, and for some people that is what they want to do and choose to do. Um, but for you and what you enjoy doing, this is where you wanted to be. So then where, where do you go from here? Oh, from here, it's, it's, you still have challenges. It's, um, it's about being the best that you can be within the position that you're in. Um, and you know, there's always room for improvement to become, uh, uh, faster, stronger, a better shot, a better shot on the move, a better shot in, you know, uh, uncomfortable situations. Um, the uh and then also becoming even if it's not through rank trying to become a leader within you know uh you know when you first get on SWAT you kind of become you, you get looked to um by you know younger uh, uh patrol officers even if you're still a new SWAT guy you know they they still look look to you as like okay he must if he, if he got there then he must know what he's doing or whatever mm -hmm. um and then uh uh so you you know you kind of take up a leadership role there but then you know you can still take up a leadership role on the team there's still plenty of room for improvement and growth so I guess kind of to close out or finish out, and I don't know how much we want to get into this, and maybe you don't see it this way, but I feel like, you know, we used to kind of just, again, this whole podcast or discussion has been like about kind of looking back and seeing where we're at. And I see this like visual of like climbing, climbing, climbing in the sense of like, I'm headed towards where I always wanted to be. And, you know, there's still room for improvement, but I'm in where I want to be. And we used to always just kind of joke of like this, this will always be around. This job will always be around. This will always be like, we never entertained it as like anything else. And now I feel like, um, for me, it's like the future it's just like uncertain, <laughs> like, which I guess in reality it always is, but it seems more uncertain now. And I guess one, does it feel that way to you? And then two, like, where's your motivation to keep doing what you're doing? Like, where does that lie? Cause I, I feel like, okay. And so take me back again to the calling part. I would have said, and I remember a conversation um, when we were dating, this is one of the things that like scored points with me in the sense of you, you know, wanted to be a cop to help people. Now, that's probably, that's my re recollection, probably not your exact verbiage, but that's what I took away. He wants to help. Um, you know, we, I don't want to say grew up, but in, in a sense we did you know, 9-11, um, Hurricane Katrina, the tsunami, those things all happened when we were older teenagers kind of transitioning into an adulthood. And, and I think you and I both, um, I remember feeling strong feelings of wishing that I could be in those places, helping those people. I think the way I help and the way you help are very different, but just wanting to be a part of the bad day, um, not so that you can gawk at the bad day, but like, so you can, you know, 
be there and, and help and, and it feels honorable um, and a privilege. What What's the motivation now? I mean, has it changed anyways? You know what I mean? Like, has it already been morphing, whether this has would have happened or not? Right. You know? Um, definitely the being on the team is, um, is a, is a huge motivator for me, the team atmosphere. And I'm very fortunate to have that, um, you know, guys that are, uh, uh, pushing a cruiser on the street, uh, you know, the way I came up, it's it's uh, only one one guy, one person in a car, um, and uh, it's um it's just you know you know you don't you don't necessarily have that strong teammate you team mentality. You, you probably have a squad or something like that you work on, but um, depending on your geographical location, uh, you might you might not even encounter them that much uh, running your calls if it's a rural area. So the team has been a big motivator for me to to have all the close relationships and being able to always work with the same people, always take on projects with the same people, train with the same people all the time. Uh, that is that has probably been the biggest thing for me that has uh, kept my motivation and has certainly been a, probably the single greatest factor in wanting to stay in this not only in this job but in this position would you say it's helped you cope but like i don't want to use that verbiage but like would you say going through the last two years again having that team has that been impactful of feeling well i i don't know i don't, I don't know exactly i suppose that it, i guess maybe i've never really thought about that but the um, i'm laughing because i don't think you sit around much asking yourself is this how i'm coping like so i'm just not yeah no i'm definitely not a question i ask myself <laughs> but i can say that it um that i think that it has um uh for me it's been it's been the thing that that keeps me motivated to, to move on to the next thing, you know, and constantly trying to get better or, um, or something like that. But for as almost as long as we've been in this job, maybe, maybe it wasn't always that way, but I, I can, that was the thing that bothered me the most about this job, um, years and years ago, which is almost laughable because it was, it seems so, um, small now, but back then it, I remember saying like being in the situations, um, that could potentially like physically harm you, they don't bother me to hear about them. They really don't create a visceral reaction in me. But the thing I grappled with the most was just um, you feeling hated for your position alone, for someone that I love, respect, and care about so much, like just being hated. Like, and so, um, but again, that is almost laughable, like, because who would have known we would kind of land where we have landed. And again, there's always two sides. And I've said that before, that at the time when when things are very vocal about the distaste for law enforcement, there are plenty who vocalize to you. That is not how they feel and appreciate you. So I think it I think I miss that piece probably the most because people are actually saying it to you. You might not be coming back and telling me that. And then of course we know what's kind of always kind of given. 
the you know the squeaky wheel gets the grease so the, the louder complaining side is all you seem to hear right. from i guess my perspective so i guess just thinking like in general the whole world is kind of asking like what the heck is happening or what's going to happen or whatever and so i think that's why i'm saying like has being on a team helped that or like have you has you have you found that to be beneficial um just maybe the cohesiveness or the I don't know, versus if maybe you were just on patrol or maybe it doesn't matter or maybe you don't care. I don't know. <laughs> what, what what are your thoughts? Tell me your thoughts. Um, well, I, I think it's helped me because it's fulfilling uh, a desire. So um, what the, being on the team. Yeah. So so if somebody who wants to be a motor unit. Mm-hmm. They might not have the team atmosphere. Um, though you could argue that that's that's its own team. But um, you know, so but whatever. If someone just wants to be a, a patrol officer, and that's just what they want to do. If 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 you know if that's if that's where their desires lay, then then they're getting fulfillment from that. Um, I think for me personally, I think I do better with a team um with a team environment i i think i i prefer that in situations as a team as opposed to on your own it's just my it's just my preference because I, and i think that if i could explain why it would have to do with just the 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 capabilities of the team and i'm not saying that it's it's not the individuals one person on the team is is replaceable right you can pull them out and put someone else in, train them up. But it's the fact that it's a team, it's a group working together mm-hmm. that train together can be very, very capable. Is the feeling still there? Is the. What's your feeling? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to phrase it and I'll let you correct it, but I'm going to phrase it as like that desire of like, I want to be doing the good, helping people. And again, those are my words. So you can change it the way you want, but. If you look back to your motivation to begin with to now, has that changed? Yes, I would say I would say it's changed definitely in the sense of um, I'm more motivated by the you know my goal is to is to help take care of the other members of the team more so than uh, anything else, uh, be it getting better in training or on actual operations and making sure that. Um, that, that we're that backs are getting covered but but at the same time i think i think it's still the the overall mission or whatever you want to call it is still service what i would say that i have learned is to maybe not take it for granted yeah that's good it's true and applicable i feel i mean even just in life whether it's we stay in this career or we don't I find myself telling him, you're right. I'm not as good as it, good at it as you. But I was just telling the boys today because one of them said, I hate 2020. It was like the worst. And I, and I said, you know, I would agree with you, except I remember thinking 2019 was a bad year. And there are days I'd give anything for it to be 2019 again. And so we have to, we don't know what 2025 
you know, we, we don't know that in 2025, we could look back and be like, oh gosh, don't you wish it was, you know, 2020, you know, we don't know, or it could be better. You know what I mean? We really could just be like, 2020 was awful. What a terrible blip. Um, we don't know, but well, we're not promised anything, you know? And so you stay in today and that can make your today much richer. All right. Well, you did it, Kennard. Thank you for coming and thank you for being you and thank you for supporting me in this and just like I said being you I appreciate you and I appreciate what you do and your mindset for our team at home and just how you serve us and our family and how you serve the community so thanks for coming thanks for thank you for being on my show Thank you for listening to the Life Giver Podcast. If you're enjoying these episodes, please share the podcast with other service couples that may benefit from the show. If you'd like more information about me or Life Giver, head on over to coreyweathers.com or life-giver.org.